What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. So I said, I don't... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, where it's been, it's not going in my mouth again. Incy, would you fuck off? No, we are not calling you the governor. And sorry about that, listeners. You caught us at a bad time. It just, we can never. That's the first time we've been caught out. Three years, first time we've been caught out. <laughs> Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend. Adam. Hey, Rory. It's been a good few days. It has to be said. Lots of stories to go through. But more importantly, mate, how are you? I am not bad. You might hear my voice. This has been like a year of illnesses, I'll be honest. You might hear my voice a little bit. I'm kind of feeling this third Mm. round of flu or whatever's going around. But (laughs) apart from that, not a bad week. As you said, plenty of stories about um, the weather in Milan has been absolutely terrible. I think in the UK it's getting crazy cold again, right? Yeah, it's gone back down to zero degrees and beyond. So it's not been as bad as the cold chills that we experienced Mm. last year. But... It, let's put it this way it's very fresh in the mornings and yeah. I, I think if people look at me it's quite you know it's in the evening it's not particularly warm out there so yeah i'm braving it for the pods. braving <laughs> it for the fight in the good fight how have you been <laughs> mate how's your week been been very good thank you um busy at work it has to be said um but yeah Keeping well, it has to be said, keeping well, looking forward to the weekend. I think we're getting to that point where you're starting to manage your food content in the household because money is on the low side now. Yeah. Money January is, is a low. long month. It's always yeah. such a long month. Um, yeah, we do like alternate in paying for the shopping. And mm. it's it must be my lucky month because I'm paying three times this week this month. So that's <laughs> nice. Uh, you're always like, damn it, January. There's always that extra <laughs> week. But guys, we... We haven't even got, we're talking about, you know, our mundane weeks. There's been some big news this week. And if you kept an eye on our social media, um, we've been trailing it a little bit, but we are Mm. delighted to be able to announce that we are now new members, the newest members of Mm. the Sports Social Podcast Network. Um, This is, I'm excited, Adam. Do you want to tell the listeners what it kind of means? Well, it basically means essentially that we're part of a partnership that allows us to be more kind of floated around, I suppose. It's more about sharing different other podcasts on this one platform. Um, So if you're listening to us for the very first time, welcome to the Anglo-Italian podcast. Uh, We will be giving you a lowdown of both Serie A, all the stories in Italy, as well as the Premier League and any stories in between as well. But um, more importantly, for those that are existing members or basically fans of our pods, 
probably not too much of a change, but you yeah. will see some interesting guests lined up going forward as well. So, Rory, I know we cannot wait to announce those guests because there's been some really good ones so far, haven't there? Definitely, definitely. We've all been working in the background to try and get some stuff lined up, knowing that this was coming, mm. and we've got it all stored. It's in the bag. It's safely on several hard drives. So it's not going anywhere. Um and no yeah, dodgy we've got more saved up. Either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not those <laughs> ones. Um, and we are, we cannot wait to release them. Some super exciting guests, some super exciting projects, everything. So we just want to say yeah. thank you to the Sports Social Pod Network for kind of finding us, taking us on, mm. getting us on board. We're super excited. And for our listeners, old and new, welcome to the show. Yeah. Um, we are this week, we're going to be talking about. Um, some unsavory stories coming out of the lower leagues in yep. England as the FA label John Yems a not a conscious racist. We're going to get yeah. into what that really means. Um, on the actual side of football, we're going to be talking league football in the UK or in England as Man United's title charge may be over before it began, drawing one <laughs> over Crystal Palace. Tottenham Hotspur are currently beating Man City 2-0 to do Arsenal the biggest favour. We'll see. We'll be keeping up with that one. And in Italy, we have manager sackings, manager hirings with the same manager. And we also <laughs> have some copper attire actions. There is lots to talk about, guys. We will see you for some of that chat after this. My name is David Artel, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. And here we are. It is our weekly Euro football roundup, kind of. And we're talking about the stories mm -hmm. from around Europe. And we're going to start in England talking about now. This is the story we kind of alluded to in the intro about John Yems. Now, for people who may not be aware of him, he's a semi-successful, unsuccessful football manager who was around in Crawley, I want to say, yes. for a lot yeah. of his career. Um, and he's not had a job for a while, um, and it's become blatantly clear why that is. Um, so there's been lots of players over a prolonged period of time that have accused him of making racist comments, racist jokes, um, jokes in inverted commas, um, yeah. and making just people in general um, feeling incredibly uncomfortable, insulted, and offended. Now, mm. what the FA have come back, and we're going to kind of go into the comments, and we're not... We want to give you a heads up and say, look, if it's something that you kind of, if you're squeamish, I want to say, maybe mm -hmm. just kind of this is a warning that we're not going to be saying any of the bad words. Neither of us want to say those words. Neither of us believe in that. But we're going to be going into kind of what he says. We just want yeah. to give you a heads up. But some of the stuff he says is awful. It's on a repeated basis. It's prolonged bullying. Um, but the FA have somehow decided in their wisdom that he is not a conscious racist now adam i'm gonna throw over to you and say mm. what is a conscious conscious racist i think we i think we're a bit baffled to be brutally honest um i think what we should do is clearly give a bit of definition to what's happened in the last sort of 24 to 48 hours so um FA independent panel has judged that he is an unconscious racist. Um, this based on the fact that he's not the most politically correct kind of 
viewed person when it comes to commentary. Um, if you've seen John Yem's prior to these allegations when they came out, he is pretty blunt. You know, if you want to just research a bit about him, yeah. he's been well known for being very blunt with the social media team at Crawley Town before in the past when he's done, you know, interviews and, you know, previews. And he, like, people thought it was quite funny at first yeah. because they didn't realize the subtones that perhaps behind the scenes happened. But Essentially, this FA panel, which, believe it or not, Rory, the FA are also not happy with the decision of this panel because wow. the okay. independent panel is made up of individuals that are kind of basically told to turn up and listen to this hearing. Okay. So interestingly, as part of this panel, you had an ex Notts County player by the name of Tony Agana. You also had a director of football from Wolverhampton Wanderers and a lawyer, I believe, by the name okay. of Rekard. So it's interesting that the panel was made up of those individuals. There's a lot mm. of question marks about how this panel was made up and how did they come to this decision. But if we go into the facts of the stories first, um, so you've got five players that have, you know, taking the courage i suppose to step up forward mm -hmm. i think that's the big thing because what's reported about these individuals is it really affected the mental health around mm -hmm. what they experienced from johnny ems and in the kind of hearing johnny ems kind of deny some of the things that were kind of alluded to from these players accounts um but also he does put his hands up and say he wasn't aware that they were racial tones or he didn't mean it in such a manner. And it, I don't know about you, Rory, there's kind of a feeling of like, he's the racist granddad that, you know, but that's doesn't realize, but th this is the thing when you're in that environment. And if you look at his history, he's been at a few established clubs. It's not yeah. like there wouldn't have been policies that he wouldn't have heard of beforehand. And, you know, certainly there must've been times where people have gone, you can't say that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it seems like he, when he got the position of manager, he felt like he could use that abuse of being in that power position and kind of getting away with it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this unconscious bias or racist aspects, I, I don't know how they can come up with that because that almost feels like an opinion as opposed to stating the facts. It's not. Yeah, it's. It, I think what it does is it takes the, it takes like. If you offend someone, it's not your, you've offended them. It's not your right yeah. to turn around and go, oh, well, I didn't mean it like that. So now it's your fault. Like, no, mm. if you've said something that's offended someone, then that's kind of your problem, right? Yeah. If that person has turned around to you and said, look, I don't like it when you make that joke, which I assume they did. And they're going, look, I don't, don't yeah. make that joke. It's not funny. I don't like it. And then you do it again. I think when you make the opinion that, oh, well, he didn't mean it, you're just putting the blame on the person who was offended and going, well, it's your fault for being upset. You shouldn't be so sensitive. And for someone to turn around and say, I didn't mean it like that, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter what you mean, what you think you meant by it. It's all about context and how it's delivered. Like we all mm. watch stand up comedians who might make jokes that are like risky or kind of offensive, yeah. but within, I tend to think within the realm of a stand up comedy where it's so blatantly kind of 
my job is to make you laugh. Mm. My job is to make jokes. I think it's kind of there, you know, it's kind of a separate thing. But when it's your manager, when it's someone you work with and it's the context of work and someone is making a joke like that that makes you feel uncomfortable, you go, well, the context is wrong. How you're delivering it is definitely doesn't feel like a joke. Then you can't just turn around and go, "Well, I didn't mean it like that." Well, the context you've 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 said it in is inappropriate, regardless. Yeah. Like, yeah. If I walked, like, I live in Italy. If I walked into the office and started making jokes about Italians to the Italian secretaries, and then got upset because, well, you're someone sensitive today, I would be an arsehole. Like, yeah. it's about respecting how people feel, and I think obviously this guy, he just reminds me of like, for a long time, I worked in shit pubs in crew right just rough ass pubs and there was a bloke that was always sat at the end of the bar and he would just say horrific things about all collections of people that weren't white british yeah. and then whenever someone said something it'd be like oh snowflakes oh everyone's yeah. so bloody offended these days you can't say anything without upsetting anyone and i think he just he screams that to me and the longer the the, the sooner sorry these people are just gone <laughs> the better yes. because i think yeah they seem the least flexible people in the world. Like if I say something accidentally on this pod or in life that upsets someone and someone lets me know, then I immediately am like, okay, now I know I can't say it. Yes, that was stupid yeah. to say, right? Now I can see why that would be upsetting to someone. I can see why this, but the, it's always these people that say the most horrific things that are always the least flexible and the least willing yeah. to be like just empathetic. And I think exactly. it's just, there's no place for him in the game. There's no place for him in society. And hopefully when the FA hearing comes back again, he'll be banned for longer than fucking 18 months because exactly. it's such yeah. an insult to those players that had to put up with it. And the jokes he was making about being a terrorist because you're from the Middle East or whatever it is, like it, it's just so, it's not, it's, it's not even funny or imaginative. It's just lazy no. racism. Like, this is the thing I would say as well. So the independent panel concluded that Yems had used offensive, racist, and Islamophobic language. It was dilated to become misplaced jocularity. Now, if you've come to that conclusion, how do you then say it was unconscious racism yeah, that yeah, he used? Yeah. Like how and like you say, that kind of sentence in terms of like he should be banned from football. Yeah. Like he, he clearly doesn't understand like just life that you shouldn't be saying these kind of things. He's been in a privileged position where he's been able to be in this environment. And you do wonder whether he's hindered someone's like potential progress in the game because yeah. of that unconscious yeah. if, bias or if, racism. If, if you think that there's, if you think that he hasn't picked someone over someone else because of their ethnicity, then you're high off your ass because he definitely, definitely has. Mm. Because if you have that level of like, you, if you're making those jokes, you know what the joke is. You know yeah. why you're making that joke. You know that, oh, he'll get upset, but these ones will have a laugh. So there's no way of making that joke in ignorance. You make the joke because you know in your head what the punchline is. The punchline is their ethnicity. So you can't then go, oh, actually, well, no, I didn't think it like that. It was just yeah. an innocent... Fuck the guy. Just fuck him, honestly. Like, And yeah. I think I sympathize so much with the players that would have had to put up with him. Like, I'm not even slightly comparing my... But when I was a teenager... I had one manager who made a joke once about my Irish heritage and it made me so fucking angry. I was ready to 
smack a tray <laughs> around his head. And that is one time. This is not a, so I can yeah. only sympathize with them and just we've all been in jobs where we hate our bosses, but imagine your boss then like racially abusing you consistently yeah, and you can't ridiculous. do anything about it. Like it's just disgusting. And I hope the guy, we don't see him in the game again. I always thought those po- those post-match conferences at, at first, I think the first one I watched, I was like, oh, this is quite funny because it's different. And then I was like, mm. oh, oh no, he's an arsehole. <laughs> he's just blatantly yeah. an arsehole. Like, yeah, it's, basically. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, and, yeah. That's we'll we see. Right. We'll see. We'll see where it goes, and hopefully he's banned. But I think the FA have had a bit of a wake up call with even, like you said, the due process and how these yep. things work. Um, it's always a learning curve, right? And we can always just hope that we progress further down the road and it gets better. Um, but it does make it hard, you know, with the no room for racism campaigns and stuff like that. And then something like this comes out and it just devalues the whole thing. And you're like, oh, mm. you're saying it's just branding, it's just marketing. None of it actually means anything until you're willing to do mm-hmm. something about stuff like this. None of it means anything. So, yeah, we've just got to keep talking about it when we see it. And, yeah, our, our support to and, the players that went through it, I suppose. And if I can just conclude with a kick-it-out statement, there's one particular paragraph that I think really sums it up really nicely, which was, this decision also sets a dangerous precedent by allowing perpetrators to hide behind the banter defence, yeah. which intentionally using harmful and discriminatory language and we will be in touch with the fa to understand how the panel came to their conclusion so i think that kind of sums it up really that everyone's baffled um and we're hoping that this gets reviewed and hopefully we can actually put a proper sentence which because in past time if we allude to suarez and Evra's incidents even the sentence there wasn't mm-hmm. long enough and yeah, harsh yeah. enough so yeah fingers crossed something gets done here it is a learning curve hopefully we will learn um what are we going to talk to next let's try and brighten it up a little bit what are we going to talk about next adam i think we'll talk about might not necessarily be a brightening up thing but let's talk about the stephen bartlett interview so uh i did kind of allude to you about the one that came out today on this is thursday the 20th i believe it is yes it is or 19th even sorry uh of jan and we are talking about jesse lingard being interviewed by stephen bartlett now it was an interesting interview. I know you caught some of it. Um, yes, yeah. I want to kind of obviously get your impressions first because I know you didn't s- listen to it all, unfortunately. I did. Uh, it was I've, very fascinating, but go on. Yeah, I thought I kind of listened to it on the commute to and from work and then was hoping to sneak a little bit in the office, but I wasn't mm. able to. Um, so I kind of got halfway through it. But yeah. the, it's a fascinating one. You could always tell that with Jesse Lingard, there was something in the background, right? You always knew there was something like, there was something that was preventing him from becoming the player that he so clearly could be. He was the mm. amount of times he's like flexed on Arsenal and you're like, my God, that <laughs> yeah. guy's actually very good. You knew there was something there. And I think what my first thought before I get into the interview itself is in, and it's going to sound a bit random, but in the seventies and in the sixties, you would get celebrities do interviews and it would be like two hours long and it would be their political views, their, their views on the world. Mm. And I go back and watch them because it's beautiful. You're actually, yeah. it's not someone promoting a book. It's someone talking about themselves. Right. And I feel like now we're almost getting to a point now where people want that content again and podcasts mm. like that, where you can have a long form hour and a half, two hour chat with a, current professional premier league footballer who is still at a club still playing 
and he can talk about that much detail in his life and his problems and people want to hear that they want to know people as people they don't want like when you think about like the Cristiano Ronaldo interview with Piers Morgan which was so manufactured to the point you could see the angles on the plastic like this is a, a genuine I think people really want this content but I just that's just a kind of side observation. But with the Jesse Lingard interview itself, I think it was really brave for him to talk about it. Genuinely yeah. very brave for it. He didn't, he did not have to talk about this at no. all. I think it felt at times like a therapy session. Like I've done therapy <laughs> myself. I've done yeah. therapy myself in the past and it felt like a therapy session. Um, and I thought it was, yeah, you just see them as people. You see them as people. Mm. And like, we're not like, he's had a very tough childhood as yes. many people have, but he's a very tough mm-hmm. childhood with lots of like mental health issues within his family and on like instability. And then family that were like supportive, but maybe a bit aggressive yeah. and a bit too supportive and or, like too supportive, aggressive. Like, yes. and then yeah. you realize that there's like this pressure there's, and I just, it made me see him as a person. And I think it's so important now for these things to happen, especially with like the rise in like online abuse it, people more than ever aren't seeing footballers as people. They're seeing them as a avatar on blue on Instagram that you yeah. can just send abuse to. And I think it, interviews like this might go some way for people to realize that they do have their own shit going on. We all have our own shit going on. Yeah. We all have issues that we need to get through. Imagine that. And then the world's papers are talking about you every yeah, day. Exactly. Every day you wake up, your name's in the sun. Like I cannot imagine the level of pressure that comes with that. And then yeah. you've got your family and everything behind it. I thought it was really brave. And look, I never, like, apart from the fact he scores against Arsenal all the time, I didn't dislike him, never <laughs> disliked him. But I definitely like him more now, if you know what I mean. I'm like, yeah, I'm really fine. just really endearing and very, very brave. What did you make of it? You obviously listened to the whole thing. We'll get into the yeah. bits about United. I think it's better to talk about United than his family issues. But, like, yeah, we can I, talk about United and what he said. This is it. I thought... <sighs> Yeah, that was interesting about his background, but then equally so was his breakdown of the club that he was bought up in terms of he loved the club. He was bought into that ethos by a certain Alex Ferguson. And he alludes to the fact that as soon as Fergie left the club, that kind of kind of camaraderie, the family kind of aspects dropped off. You know, Stephen Bartlett alludes to the fact that the staff members at Old Trafford kind of said that Edward Woods didn't really resonate with the team or even with the staff behind the scenes. So this was the big thing that David Gill and Alex Ferguson used to know these people by first name terms. They used to like at least ask them how their days were going. And although Jesse Lingard alludes to the fact that that kind of generation of a one man figure looking after the club probably has disappeared from football there's still a way to deal with people. And it's interesting because you also heard about the fact that he he loved his time under Jose. He said it was probably his best season that he actually experienced, but he actually alludes to also Louis van Gaal. He says he's probably one of the best coaches that he's been under because he gave a structure to the club Mm -hmm. and you knew what you were there to do. And he said he also enjoyed his time under there. Doesn't allude much to David Moyes, but then he uh, alludes to David Moyes about his time when he wanted to have the loan move at the time. Mm-hmm. So Out when he West did Ham. eventually yeah. get the West Ham move, which apparently there was a few times where it broke off because the club couldn't agree with West Ham over certain elements. And this was all down to the fact that they didn't really want to necessarily let Jesse Lingard go. 
mm-hmm. this despite the fact that he wasn't getting game time. So this was on a promise that he'd made with Oli Gonasosha, and he said, look, if I don't get this amount of games by this point, then I want to go to another club and get game time. And bear in mind, this was in the lead up to the Euros. He was desperate to try and break through into Gareth Southgate's team because Gareth Southgate gave him his debut for England. He always performed for England when he was called upon as well. This is the thing that gets sometimes forgotten about. Um, He says Gareth Southgate is an incredible manager, but also an interesting one because he doesn't look like the calm, personified mm-hmm. figure that we sometimes yeah. see from a media perspective. So he can do the Fergie hair blower treatment to players apparently behind the scenes. So, And he says that's a good thing because sometimes you need that in certain yeah, occasions, yeah, which yeah. is interesting. But I think the thing that resonated with me was what happened in the last six months prior to him leaving Man United in which he kind of says that there was the proposed move to Newcastle United. He wanted to go. He was at that point where he wasn't getting the game time, but due to the fact that there was certain injuries and certain players that had already gone on loan, the club refused to let him go. This despite the fact that he wasn't getting game time for United. And it was quite obviously clear at the time by the manager, so Ralph Ragnick, we're assuming to at this point, that he wasn't really prepared to give him that game time. So then apparently John Murta, who is obviously the replacement for um, Edward, would kind of said, well, look, we can do a deal with you. Like, as in to say, you know, you're not going to go on loan, but we'll give you something as a compensation piece. And he said, do you want extra days off? And... Lingard alludes to the fact that he was shocked by the fact that he was offered these kind of days off. He said, no, no, that's not what I want because he was sobbing apparently during this kind of conversation. He said, I just want to go and play football. Next day he goes, he rings up John Murta and just out of spite, he goes, I would like those two days off. He just says, I want two days off. He then next sees a leak on Sky Sports to say, Jesse Lingard has requested two days off to which he's had to then respond on social media to say, no, these are the facts, blah, blah, blah. Basically, this happens. So mentally, he must have been in some state. And one final thing, I think, which was interesting was he said when there was clubs after him, Nottingham Forest made the effort. They said they were prepared to, you know, fly him out to Greece to meet the owner. Okay, Uh, Steve, Steve Cooper was on the phone. He says, even to this day, even when they're in their usual kind of modes of like being a player, he FaceTimes him just to see how he's doing. This was apparently the same thing that Mourinho did when he was during that time. And he says, that's the kind of thing that Alex Mm -hmm. Ferguson does. And he says, that's the kind of element that seems to be missing from the club. One other point on Man United, he alludes to the fact that despite he doesn't give credit to the Glazers as such, but he says they need to reinvest in the club in terms of facilities because it's old, it's tired, and it basically alludes to what we know. But in summary, yeah, it's just one of those where it seems like it's a bit of a shit show behind the scenes. Yeah, they've not invested in the infrastructure. We can all see that. I think he does admit, like, well, you can't deny the Glazers have spent a lot of money. They've just spent it badly. Um, I think... What was really irritating and kind of summed up the age we live in is that I listened to the beginning of that interview and how heartbreaking it was. And 
And then the, the sentence that went viral was the training ground doesn't even have a games room. And that's what people focused on of all yeah. the, all the stuff he talked about that is what you focus on and i just want people to say if that if you've seen that line and got oh jesse lingard's an idiot no someone's no. picked that line to make him look like an idiot yeah. the interview from what i've heard so far and from what adam has said he seems like just the nicest guy who's just had yeah, a bit genuinely. of a tough time and like with the united board we know what they're like we know that it's all mm-hmm. see it's it's business CEOs that have come in, not football people, right? Not proper exactly. football men that have come in and they're just looking at the balance sheet. And yeah, they don't care who the cleaner is and who the who works in the cafe or whatever. And yeah. that's what Ferguson and Shankly and Wenger and all the great man managers were famous for was knowing everybody's name and not just knowing them, caring what their name yeah, is for. Like it. It, it, anyone can remember a name, but caring about the people. That's why people get that's when people give you more, right? But it's good to see Jesse Lingard kind of doing well again or somewhere where he's happy again. Um, he seems to be enjoying his football in, in Nottingham at the moment. They seem to be mm. doing better than we expected, I think. Yeah. So, good to see and hopefully more of these interviews because yeah, I need to go exactly. back and listen to the David Moyes one. I need to go back and listen to that one because I think that one's going to be fascinating. You can yes. definitely tell Stephen Bartlett's a United fan because he is just getting people he that are is. interested from United. He is. Oh, just get him on. Yeah, but I, his detail of being a Man United fan is a bit suspect. So that's the one okay. thing I will, yeah, I will caveat. I won't spoil it for you because it comes really clear Ooh. in the David Moyes interview. Um, a very little detail. Maybe it's just the football geek in me, right. Corey. But yeah, maybe. I would just go, that's quite obvious, Steve Butler. You're not a Man United fan. Right. But yeah, <laughs> okay, right, right. That, that's my opinion Ooh, anyway. There's a little Easter egg to look out for this. As we Ooh. keep, yeah, promoting other pods while we're at it. I've got a mug from the Social Distance Sports <laughs> Pass. There you go. We can promote two now. Um, guys, On the, we are going to take a quick break. Um, yes. And after this break, we're going to talk Premier League. We're going to talk league, you know, Copper Italia. Cup, and we're going to talk... Italia. Why Spurs are so shit? Because it's now two, three, two to Man City. Why are Spurs so <laughs> shite? <laughs> and here we are. It is time for the Italian English or Anglo Italian would make more sense, I suppose. <laughs> Roundup <laughs> of the midweek action, and we're gonna start in England. And well. I hate to say it, it brings a tear to my eye, but is the Manchester United title challenge done (laughs) before it was even there? They concede in the last minute to an absolute banger of a free kick from Michael Elise with a very understated celebration, if not no celebration, which was a bit (laughs) weird. Um, But I did see it as they robbed the points on the Sky Sports official feed, which I think is a little bit harsh considering how the game went. I thought Palace yeah. had their chances. Um, yeah. I don't think Palace robbed anything. Um, but United let three points slip through their fingers. They looked they a bit did. knackered, right? Towards the yeah. end, they looked tired. Um, how did you see this game? What are your impressions? Yeah, so match? what I would say is Man United seemed to dominate possession in particular from the first half Um Obviously, I think the main thing to learn about this game was they were still trying to adapt to the way Valt Verkhorst was going to play. Mm-hmm. Obviously, different type of player. They're not used to him just yet. And I think during one of the kind of bits where the kind of, you know, the pause of play, Valt was kind of instructing the other players about how he wanted the ball being played to him, etc. So it was quite obvious that they're still trying to get to grips with that. 
but that said, they had their fair share of opportunities to maybe kill it off even after they got that first one through Bruno. Um, and then from then onwards, it, it felt like they were just inviting pressure at times. They dealt with it quite well. I thought Aaron Wampasaka had a good game. He put in, in particular, after that goal went through, there was an opportunity for Zaha to potentially make it to. Wow. He timed that with perfection. Yeah. I mean, he gets that wrong. That's a penalty. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is the thing. Uh, there could be question marks about Casemiro and that yellow card, which I know you're delighted. But should that have been a red card, given how think, high the foot was? I thought at the time that was red all day I think long. he's been very lucky to just get a yellow there, honestly. I yeah. think Casemiro has come with a reputation of being the guy who gets away with things because that's what he did at Real yeah. Madrid. He used to go around yeah. fouling people and that's Shit what he housing. does. That's what he's very yeah. good at. And I think he's come with that and almost just brought it with him and he gets away with things. Um, I think that should have been a red. But to be honest, from my Arsenal head, I couldn't give a shit because it means he misses on Sunday and that's all that matters to me, really. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't really care. But I think he is a player that always plays on the line. But I think he does he get does. away with things. And that was that was a red card. I think that should have been a red card. But United fans are going to shout at us if we don't talk about the fact they should have had a penalty. I think it just touches Chris Richards' foot. Mm. And it I is think... very faint, but all I see is a slight knock of the ball. Now, you could yeah. argue that maybe McTominay is maybe getting the ball in that direction and then buying the foul a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I think he times it just enough to kind of make it less obvious that it was a foul, if that makes sense. So I don't think, you know, it was that clear cut. And I think that's the point, whole point of VAR. It has to be clear and decisive in terms of that decision-making. I don't think that was very clear that that was a foul. The intention mm -hmm. was there to get the ball. And if you see it, it's just the movement that maybe, if maybe McTominay kind of dinks the ball over him and then the foul is bought, then that's a penalty, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, in my eyes. But I could e easily, if that was a given against me, I'd probably be shouting a bit at the TV set and yeah. screaming for a penalty myself. But yeah, I, I think, think I think he nicks it just in time. I think it's one of them where we're seeing the changes in VAR again. We've seen yes. we kind of talked about the yeah. sudden changes in VAR. I think before the World Cup that gets given, and I think now mm. it's not being given, and they're going with the on-field yeah. decision a bit more, which is nice because I don't actually. I think it was. I, I agree with you. I think it was yeah. kind of he just got there right on the borderline so i think yeah. in all one 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 was a kind of fair result i think palace had yeah. their chances second half definitely i think they kind of had the chances united let the game slip a little bit um i heard david de Gea moaning about well why aren't arsenal playing this wednesday yes oh, um, yeah it's because you finished second in your europa league group and we finished first so they didn't have to <laughs> rearrange our game we can exactly. just do it then um so next time finish top and then and then you won't have to do it. Um, that's why. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, I, it's a semi, without me being facetious, it's a kind of semi-fair point. They have to play on Wednesday. We don't ahead of what's a huge game. I can see why you'd be annoyed, but finish top of your Europa League group, mate. It's easy. <laughs> um, good. <laughs> Anything else? I did also I enjoy have... Wilf... uh, Sorry, I did also enjoy Wilfred Zaha's post-match conference when he talked about the tackle with Wan-Bissaka. And he was like, 
damn, only Aaron can do that scoop tackle, man. And <laughs> yeah, it was just such yeah. a nice interview. I love every time I see Zaha, I absolutely love him. I really love Yeah, him. definitely. I have three points. So I, I just want to okay. call out Vieira. I thought he played it really well in terms of tactics. I thought he got it really spot on in terms of the substitutions in that sense as well. And in particular, when we're talking about Vieira calling it, the introduction of Chris Richards, who the Palace fans haven't been able to see, maybe fortuitous, but he got in on the basis that James Tonkins said he was unwell and Joe yeah. Jim um, Anderson wasn't able to make it. What a debut. What an like, yeah, incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. performance. And thirdly, Eberiche is a just a man in the last 10 to 15 minutes, yeah. just taking the ball past um, Casemiro at one stage. I think he buys that foul. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. He buys a number of them. It's just a shame on the particular incident where Casemiro gets the yellow card. He had a shot, which if that was Elise, you're wondering, could that have been a goal? Um, but yeah, I was hoping Eze was going to score what Elise did score. Um and yeah, it's just a joy to see him back playing that style of football because, again, I can't believe there's no big clubs like an Arsenal looking at Elise, oh. looking at Eze, yeah. just because the quality they bring. But maybe another transfer window, Rory. Maybe another transfer window. I, I want both of them at Arsenal. I just want both of them. I, I, I was always like, right, Eze or Elise? Eze or Elise? And every time I watch them, I'm like, okay, Eze. Then I'll see Elise. And I'm like, no, I want Elise. And I'm like, you know what? Just get both of them. <laughs> like, let's just have both of them. They have to move together. They're just beautiful footballers. And I think Vieira is doing like, Palace are always going to be like up, down, up, down. They've on yeah. a, been a, they're on a bit of a bad run at the moment. Their form hasn't been great. But I think this kind of result this kind of performance mm. can definitely get them back on the road again. I also think Joe exactly. Jim Anderson is a key player for them because the balls yeah. he plays out of defense, he's able to get those line splitting passes. I think he's really, really important for them. On, um, on him, do you think he's got potential to go to a big club in the summer? Maybe not in this window, but maybe I the think next one. We could see him at like a Spurs in a couple of years' time. I think he could like definitely make that step up. I know, sorry, Joe or Jim, yeah. but um, <laughs> I think he could he could make that step up in Serie A. He was always a very good defender. Yeah, he exactly. always stood out in Serie A. And I think when I remember when Palace signed him, Tommy was like, mm. "Bloody hell, that's great for Palace!" Like that's a really <laughs> like his reputation in Serie A was very good. So I think he's yeah. always been a competent defender, and I think. Like I was, yeah, like I was saying, his ability, his passing range and his ability with his feet and the fact that he's a big lad, he's strong, mm. he can win in the air. I think he's kind of, he's a very I, complete defender, I think. I just wonder if a Man United or even an Arsenal mm. could do with him because I just think he'd challenge that kind of first choice 11, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think if you I'd want see a, him being there. If you want a right, I'm pretty sure he's right-footed. If you want a right-footed centre-back who can pass, then I'm pretty sure he can be pretty high on exactly. your list. He's done He's done very well since he's come into the Premier League. And I know Palace fans love him. And I think him and yeah. um, Guehi together have got a really good little partnership mm. going. So I think, yeah, a very, very good side there at, at Palace. Um, just a few, maybe one or two more seasons together. I think they should really yeah. kick on. It's just, I think we forget how quick an identity change Palace have had in a very short amount exactly. of time. They've yeah. gone from... Now, I love Roy Hodgson, but survival ball. <laughs> yeah. They've gone yeah. from just survival ball to like, right, let's try and actually play some nice football now. And there's, there's going to be a bit of a dip yeah. before you go up. And I think we're kind of, they, they will be going up. They've got a very, very exciting team. For United, they just, as with a lot of teams, they just need some strength off the bench. They just mm. need, they've just not got the depth at the minute. And once Rashford and Fernandez get tired, there's exactly. not that someone to come on and kind of get mm. the win. But one all, it finished. Um, 
I think we're going to kind of, even though the game's not over yet, uh, let's check what the current score is. It's still 3-2 in the 81st minute. Now, we know Spurs mm. love a late goal, but it's currently 3-2. Um, let's leave that until afterwards, because <laughs> eight minutes, right? We can wait. Let's wait eight we minutes. We can wait. We're going to talk about Wilfred Nyonto. Oh. I love this boy. Oh, my God. Um, I love that there's an exciting Italian youngster in the Premier League. I love that he's kind of tearing it up now for Leeds. Um, mm. He's really starting to find his feet. And he found his feet incredibly quickly in this game as he took both off the ground to volley past the Cardiff keeper. An unbelievable goal. Now, Adam, you've seen this goal. It's like De Canio, but better. Yes, because obviously he does it with the right foot instead of his usual left foot as well, which makes it even more remarkable because he's not the tallest of strikers. It has to be all attacking midfielders, should we say. I don't know. It depends what your clarification of Notto's role is. But I think just there's also that element that he buys the space. If you saw just before he hits it, he pushes the defender in front of him just to buy that little bit of space and just to kind of put him off his game. And then just to have that kind of precision and rifle it in the top corner, like the goalkeeper, no goalkeeper's getting that, I'm afraid. I can't mm-hmm. see any of the top goalkeepers being able to save that because he just absolutely bangs it with precision and it just the whole place erupts. But mm-hmm. I think everyone, as soon as they saw it, just went, wow. Wow, like, and they're starting to appreciate this boy even more. And, you know, I think he's got a bright future. And I can't believe only Leeds were in for him. Like, it's just crazy, isn't it? The guy's career is a bit mad because he was at Inter's youth system. And and now we know Inter consistently fumble the bag with bloody youth players. (laughs) They're just forever giving away a Pirlo or a Zaniolo or a Nyonto. Just like, yeah, we don't want him. What are we going to do with him? Take him. But he went out to Switzerland, right? And was like smashing it in Switzerland. And then he gets his first call up to Italy. And we, I, yeah. I don't know about you, but I remember his first cameo for Italy when he came on and everyone was like, Mm. I sat up and was like, holy crap, who's this guy? Like he injected pace and just directness into that attack and threat, just nothing but threat. I was like, damn, like Mancini knows a player when he sees one. And then, yeah, you're right. Leeds are the only team to come in for him. He suits their style so well because Mm. he's able to just bomb it forward. But not it's not just like Adama Traore pace. It's like with direction, with skill, yes. with footballing intelligence, with exactly. everything. And he's only 21, 22, I want to yeah, say. Roughly, Not even that. Yeah. Um, so, like, he's a stupidly exciting player. I think for Leeds, what I saw now, I know Cardiff are right near the bottom of um, yeah, yeah, the of championship. And they and the manager. Very, yeah, yeah the, the Dean Whitehead's taken over now, right? I think it yeah. was. Um, yeah. I saw him on the sideline looking a bit panicked, like 4-0 down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know Cardiff are where they are, right? But I think for Leeds, mm. what I saw was Rodrigo, who's now got 10 goals in 17 games this season. Unbelievable. Mm. For a team that are struggling, that's a very good return. Yes. Um, you've got Bamford, who's now got three goals in two games. And you've mm-hmm. got Nyonto, who's just got his third goal for Leeds, right? Yeah. Um, alongside a few assists and kind of settling yes, into exactly, the side. Yeah. And what I saw was the two sides of Leeds, because they then conceded yeah. two goals at the end when there was exactly. absolutely no need to. No need to, yeah. But what I saw was, on our last episode, we were talking about how hard is it to find players who score goals. A lot of teams mm. struggle to find players who score goals. Leeds have got players who score goals. And I yes. think that 
is what will keep them in the Premier League. If you've got Bamford and Rodrigo as options and then Yonto finding his feet in the league and being able to like just improve, 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 I mm. think Leeds have definitely got enough. They still play exciting football. I know a lot of people aren't really taken with Jesse Marsh. I think people have just got something against him because, I don't know, he, people seem to not like him. I like him. He seems like a nice guy. I like the yeah. football his teams play. I think he's kind of doing a decent enough job at Leeds. It seems like people, some people have an agenda against him. I'm not sure why. Um, but this is a big win for them. It's the first time they're in the fourth round of the FA Cup since 2017, I want to say. Mm. So it's kind of, that's a good old while. I think yeah. Leeds fans will be pretty excited to get a bit of a cup run together. And I, I could see, realistically, Leeds kind of having a bit of a run here. I think like... Yeah, it could kind I, of be a nice little distraction as well as the relegation thing. <laughs> it could be a nice exactly. little distraction, right? I think I think it depends on how kind the draw is to them. I think mm. that ultimately will play a part. But you're right on the Jesse Marsh aspect that Leeds fans don't seem endowed by his approach at the moment. They get maybe a bit sick and tired of like mm. his emotions, but also what when I looked at it a few weeks ago, this was when Mateusz Klick was kind of unceremoniously kind of said this is your farewell game and the comments there were why the fuck does this club not announce it because we would have given him a send-off and you know we were stayed behind because a lot of the fans said we walked five minutes before the end of the match and you know there was just that lack of communication which Mm -hmm. was very strange in the circumstances because the guy had given quite a lot of his time to the club well he was there in the championship as well right exactly he scored the crucial goal that got the mark and yeah he scored the uh contentious goal against Villa if you remember when a player was <laughs> yeah, down yeah uh, he was the one who got well. really angry about it yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. well he was one that was pretty much going to be beaten out of the stadium that's <laughs> for sure um but yeah no he, he obviously I saw comments at that point which was you know Marsh was sick and tired of it people seem to think we're attacking minded but we're quite negative so I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the element of the players maybe not you know, playing the roles that maybe Marsh has set out potentially. We did say though, Jesse Marsh is going to take at least more than one window to get it right. I think the fact that they're not in a relegation zone as such, I think says a lot about, you know, he's got a bit more grit out of this team. Yes, they could do with quality. And I think that goes down to the investment piece because I don't think the current owners under Ratsuani, who's the current owner of Leeds, I don't think he's going to be able to extend his wealth at the moment and i think there's that american consortium behind the scenes um that are trying to invest a bit more into the club the the 69ers i think it is yeah owners of the 49ers Um, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so i i suspect that's going to play a huge part and do you know what maybe that will have an influence in terms of marsh staying in the role because i think Mm -hmm. everyone kind of still thinks that there should be a certain figure called bielsa in yeah, that he's role. Kind of, I think that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, he's suffering from not being Bielsa, right? I did see a tweet of him sat on a bucket and it was like <laughs> a Leeds fan saying, you can sit on as many buckets as you like, but we're never calling you daddy. It's fucking brilliant. Um, I think he is suffering a little bit from that, but I think this is a big win for Leeds. Cardiff are in all sorts of trouble. Yes. Um, they're really not looking good for them. I think it's another one of those just horrifically mismanaged clubs had that one season in the Premier League and they're still recovering from not being in the Premier League still. Um, it kind of, it's sad to see when you've got like, you know, Cardiff's like a huge, well-supported club. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I don't know. I enjoy seeing the South, um, the South Wales derby in the champions in the championship is always good fun. If you know what I mean, I think like it would be a shame yeah. to see Cardiff go down, but they did look all over the place. But then Leeds at the back towards the end, Melier. I cannot, I cannot quite make him out as a keeper. I can't figure him out. I know he's he, he's like he's the got the Hayo vibes, hasn't he? He's got the yeah. Hayo slash Loris vibes about him. Super great shot stopper, mm. but sometimes his decisions are a bit mad. But I do think the first goal, Luke Ayling kind of does in there completely. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what <laughs> happened? But he had no need. I don't think he really had any need to be coming out no. there. I don't know. It was all a bit of a shit show. And you just saw the two sides of Leeds. But I thought I wanted to give Rodrigo another shout out again and be like 10 goals yeah, in 17 games. It's a very good return. And if mm. they can get Bamford scoring again, then they've got two strikers there, two options that can yes. definitely keep you in the league. Whereas if you look at the teams that are around them, like, Everton would do anything for a striker right now. West Ham have just signed Danny Ings. Um, Bournemouth <laughs> have always needed a striker. Yeah. Leicester needed, like, none of those teams have got players that are banging in goals, but Leeds kind of have. So I think that gives them a bit of a head start. What? Oh, no. have just taken a 4-2 lead now. Oh, uh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh, never mind. Let's just talk nice about fun. Conte then. Let's talk about <laughs> yeah, Conte. Now, now the comeback definitely isn't happening. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, you'll always be shit. You'll always <laughs> be shit. Um, right, Tottenham, what do they do now? I saw a um, the Tottenham Supporters Trust have issued a statement to the Enoch group saying they want to see a clear plan of progress at Tottenham Hotspur and what their plan of... Um, progress is now i did see an arsenal fan make a very good point which was if they were three points ahead of arsenal they would not be saying if if they were in the same position but three points ahead of arsenal they wouldn't be complaining but they are complaining they still had the greatest ever start to a season ever in their history this season don't forget that their start to the season was Mm. the best they've ever had i don't know if these fans are just being a bit do you think they're being a bit spoiled? Now, I understand the football isn't great to watch. I understand that they there hasn't been the investment that fans expect, but there will never be investment that fans expect because fans expect <laughs> the investment mm. to never end. Um, I understand why they might be annoyed, but I think for Tottenham, this is where they are. This is where they have been. This is... They had the last time they challenged for the title was the Leicester season, I think, right? Yeah, I think they are at a point where they think or believe that they are at a certain level, which should be competing every season based on the fact that they've got these players that they believe are world class, right? Yeah. So the likes of Harry Kane, for example, Son, for example. Well, they they got, they I, undoubtedly are. Those two they, undoubtedly are. Yeah, and that, that's form. a good shout. However, it's the whole team. We're not just talking about two individuals here. I almost feel like there's a prestige that they think they are the 90s Spurs. Like that is their heritage. That's their history. They know or they are bought up on this philosophy of they had the Gazers, they had the Gary Linekers. They were kind of the glory years as such with Terry Venables, etc., and somehow they should be on the same pedestal as these well, even, clubs because they spend the amount of money. But it's all good and well, as we allude to with the Glazers and Man United, you spending all this money, it's all about the philosophy, it's about how you structure it. And uh, there's 
there's elements where I feel sorry for Conte, but I also think he's digging his own grave as well at the same time. And I think ultimately is the club structure as well. So the club structure, you've got a hard man in Daniel Levy. By all accounts, people outside of Spurs, they actually rate Daniel Levy because Uh although he's a hard task manager in that respect, he only wants the best for the club. So in the sense of, he generates the revenue. He gets the board on side because he says, look, I've created this amount yeah. of wealth for the club. This is where we're progressing, etc." So, you know, he's doing a good financial job. But what the fans are kind of alluding to is that if you spent that money towards a playing squad, then potentially we could get more revenues from winning. But they still seem to forget that you've got to win it. So you can't just spend, say, 500 million. And if you don't yeah. get a return in that season then what happens then? Do they start selling these assets? Mm. I mean, they seem to forget that. So those years where they had Martin Yol and they spent endless amounts of money, those days are gone. Let's just forget about that. And I think they've got to get a bit more pragmatic, as you said on Monday's show, is start realising that there is a certain level they're at. And until they kind of invest properly to an extent, there's also an element that the coach has got to take responsibility and work with the team that is at his disposal yeah. as well. So so this is, yeah, I think you're right. But So then basically Tottenham fans are right to be saying what is the plan? Because I think, yeah. it, like we've said with United, investment isn't the issue. It's where it's being invested. It's what mm-hmm. the plan is. And I think Tottenham, yes, that what they've done is they've tried to, they've they've done what Arsenal did when they appointed Unai Emery. Right now, but they've gone right. We need a manager who wins now. Right now, okay. Emery only ever won cups, but we need a manager who wins now. And then, if that doesn't mm-hmm. work immediately, then what? And that's what we're seeing now. So, I understand that the Tottenham fans want to be like, Look, they had a manager yeah. that was Pochettino, who was a process manager, who was a yeah, like who was um developing these young players, who was building a mm-hmm. team who got them to a Champions League final, it seemed like a clear plan. So I can understand that now they're like, okay, what is the plan? And I think the fans do deserve an answer. Like, I'm trying to take my Arsenal hat off here and just look at it as a football club that's being run Mm -hmm. badly. Um, But I also think they've made, like, they with Conte, he's the best manager they could have got. Like, uh, out of the market, I think you could say Graham Potter, right? Graham Potter might have been a better fit at Spurs than Chelsea, Mm. arguably. Um, But I think any club at that point would have been looking at hiring Conte. He's fresh off the market. He's just won Serie A with a team that haven't won it in years. Um, His stock was high. So I don't think anyone could at the time, and I know Spurs fans at the time definitely weren't saying it, we're not saying this is a bad appointment. I, off the top of my head, the only person who said it was was Gary Neville. And, you know, he got it right. Fair play. But I think 99% of people were saying this This is a great appointment. This is what Spurs should be doing. It's building on the success that they've had, mm. right? This is the guy to take them that extra level. So I think anything now is just hindsight. Anything now is just, oh, well, look, it's gone badly. I knew it was going to go badly. Well, no, because at the time, you were definitely happy mm. that we all heard it. We all heard yeah the Conte's going to win as the league chance and all that, right? Yeah, like, exactly. it just hasn't gone well. And that is because it's it's not a good fit between the between the club and the manager. And we could all see that from a mile off. Mm. Conte loves to spend money. Spurs and yeah. Levy hates to spend money. So I think yeah. it, was, it was never like, yeah, it was, it, it, 
I understand how Spurs fans are angry. It just feels like a bit of a mess. It feels like a bit of a mess. But on the same hand, you're still, you are now, even with this loss, you're in fifth, I want to say. Um, down to, well, fifth Let's place. Look. So the fifth place, five, they're currently on 33 off. points, five points off Newcastle as it currently stands. Having so, played a game extra as well, Jesus. Um, don't yeah, forget, though, there's plenty of football still to play. So th- there is a possibility they could bring themselves back into it. However, that said, I think that there is a word to kind of say on Conte as well. And I alluded to it on Monday in terms of, I'm surprised and unsurprised by the way he sets out because it's the same formation. You haven't got the players. Other managers would have tried something different by now. Uh, And I don't know about you, but like we've been kind of calling out for the last few weeks, it's fair to say, I think the writing is on the wall. He's waiting to leave. He's waiting for that. Just basically the check to say, you're sacked. Here's 20 million to get you rid of you. Spurs aren't going to do that. I think they're going to see out the season now, to be honest. And it'll be down to Conte to decide if he wants to leave on his terms. Um, But that said, if I'm Spurs and I'm Daniel Levy, I'd probably go, do you know what? Let's strike a balance here. If you want to be a manager still at this club, sign a long-term contract and we will promise to have this structure for transfer targets. And that would be the only way that I could maybe persuade Conte to stay there. Because if, let's say, they hypothetically he goes, who do they bring in? Because do they go the same kind of avenue and bring in Thomas Tuchel? Like, <laughs> See, the club? they can I only mean, hire to... ex-Chelsea exactly, managers. Exactly, right? So, yeah, 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 yeah. Which, and we've been saying it's probably Pochettino, but again, would Pochettino, I don't know, there's, there could be an element that Pochettino goes, I want this guarantee because the same issue was with Pochettino when he left. He wasn't given transfer yeah. fees. And when they did buy, they bought like the second or third choices in their kind of strategy yeah, yeah. and they weren't his prime choices. So again, does it allude to a point that their strategy behind it is never being spot on and therefore they're not creating the squad? I mean, you look at the squad as Andy kind of said, Matt Doherty, Emerson yeah, Royale. Yeah. I mean, this is getting desperate. I mean, some of those players, if you think about where their next clubs will be, I think even you're looking at bottom half clubs and they're probably going... Yeah, they're not going, going up. Not, they're not, not going really. up. But even so, if I was a Watford, I'd kind of go, does Emerson Royale improve our squads? Like... I cannot thank Edu enough for getting... No, Arteta, sorry. Edu wanted Emerson Royale and Arteta wanted Tommy Asu. And I just will never, ever, ever <laughs> thank Arteta enough for getting Tommy Asu and not Emerson Royale. Um, but yeah, I think, like I said, trying to take my Arsenal hat off, I kind of sympathise with the, with the Spurs fans because it felt like they were on a que- on a crest of a wave and they were kind of close to pushing something mm. in this. This appointment hasn't gone well, but I think when it was no. made, lots of people were excited. Yeah. Um, but even when Pochettino was there, people were saying he was overachieving and he was overachieving massively. Yes, like he massively. wasn't spending a large mm-hmm. amount of money. Like he was overachieving. Um, yeah. So I think maybe they have, maybe they'll go backwards. We've said it before. We think Pochettino will be the next manager, yeah. but we will see, I suppose for now, you couldn't even do us a bloody favor. That win puts City five points behind the mighty Arsenal, having played a game more with, of course, the mm-hmm. huge game on Sunday coming up. United going 
to the Emirates. They haven't won there for a very long time. So touch mm. wood that continues. Um, but we do very quickly need to talk in Serie A as well and Coppa Italia. And we need to talk. I'm going to start with the story of the weekend. And this is Salernitana get whiplash in this U-turn <laughs> in the fact that they have fired, <laughs> fired and rehired David Nicola within 48 hours, I want to say. It's that yes. classic kind of, um, I don't know, when you're like a teenager, you get really angry at your parents and you scream and tell them to fuck off. And then an hour later, you come <laughs> into the room like, I'm sorry, can I have dinner now, please? <laughs> like, it seems like a massive... The, the chairman must have lost his mind a little bit. But this is peak Serie A, right? We've seen it before with... Like, it is. It managers is. managing twice in a season, but not twice in the same weekend. But I think the, the interesting narrative, and I don't know if you saw this, was David Nicola kind of alluding to the fact that it was actually him that kind of begged the... Um, Matt, oh, uh, no. chairman, the president, which is Danilo Evelino, to give him his job back. So oh, apparently God. he had, I don't know if I believe that narrative, but he released a story on his social media platform to say he was very thankful to not only the club president, but also to the sporting director that I didn't know, but Morgan De Sanctis, who is the ex-goalkeeper at Roma Napoli. Now yeah. at Salernitana, I didn't realise that. Um, but yeah, so supposedly the story goes, they had a brief conversation after that Atalanta result. He accepted that he, they were poor. And I don't know if I buy it. Yeah, my bad, he, my bad. Apparently You've got me. Offered, You've got he, me. Offered, yeah. he offered his resignation, believe it or not, and then decided against like 48 hours, essentially pleaded actually, for his job back and I went, actually... Resign. I do want that Salernitana job because yeah, no one yeah. else will have me. Um, but then I don't know, just in typical Italian fashion, let's just yeah. spice it up a bit. Apparently Salernitana couldn't get a replacement at the same time. And I did no, kind of, of uh, allude to the fact that there's Paolo Sosa. The other one was Vlad Petkovic, who used to be okay. the Swiss manager. Yeah. Now, obviously, I, I do fancy, I'd love to see him yeah, somewhere like that. That would have been an interesting appointment. But that said, yeah, there was no one really that <laughs> was around who agreed to take on Salernitana. So, I think there's somewhere where you can kind of say that's bullshit. There's some bullshit in <laughs> some the story. is lying. Is is lying. Something in the line wasn't correct there. Um, but he's back in a role. He says he's going to give his all. And it looks like they have decided to back him. So um, Thomas Henry, um, not Wee. to you, his brother, is joining Salernitana from Hellas Verona, by all accounts. So that could be an interesting addition, striker-wise. They're not sure. I think it's more defenders. We said Fazio. Like, they need to get rid of him first, to be fair. Get a decent centre-back, guys. Because they've got Okoa. They've got Pistolera. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mostly with Dia. So, I don't know. Um, know. Yeah, Salernitana's a weird one, eh? I feel like, yeah, there wouldn't really be managers lining up, unfortunately. Sorry, (laughs) Salernitana fans. There wouldn't be managers lining up. We love you. We love you being in Serie A. I love you being in Serie A. But I don't think the... um, yeah, I don't think the managers were queuing up there. David Nicola is kind of a weird one. Um, I think he he weirdly did a strange job at Salernitana last year by keeping them up. It was a miracle. Like how they yes. how they stayed up was, was incredible. Um, but I think the moment I saw them celebrating after losing three 0 at home on the last game of the season <laughs> where they needed to win, but they stayed up because someone else lost worse was yes. one of the most shameless celebrations I've ever seen in my life. They it's should have just bowed their heads and left the stadium. It was honestly yeah. awful. Um, but I think. Yeah, 
a, a, a marriage of convenience, probably a marriage of convenience. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're going to move on from Slenatana. We Let's will definitely on. be keeping you updated there because mm-hmm. that drama definitely isn't over. No, in yeah. Serie A, that drama definitely isn't over. And we need to talk copper. Should we do super copper first? Super copper. I think so. Let's go with that because there were some and fascinating performances there, right? Unbelievable. The third goal from Martinez. Ooh, what Ooh. a finish outside of the foot curler around the keeper into the far into the far corner. Beautiful goal. Really strange. Like the atmosphere actually seemed quite like lively there. They it seemed did. like pretty, the pretty fact rowdy. That he kind of like ran towards the Inter Milan faithful, which I was surprised at how many there were, but there was quite a few considering the venue was being held at as well. And I don't know about you, Rory, but the scenes at the end kind of reminded me as if I was playing FIFA rather than, you know, because it was named the EA Cup, Super Cup, basically. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Um, Yeah. The the FIFA for... I'm going to create a word, but the FIFAification of of um, yes. football is getting really, really depressing. Um, but for Inter, I mm. have a lot of Inter fans in my classes, and they were all very nervous about this game. Really, and the Milan fans were very nervous as well. And I was like, guys, it's like the charity shield where you getting stressed <laughs> by. It don't matter. Yeah. But then I realised I was like, actually, if Arsenal were playing Spurs in any final, I'd be crapping my pants. Yes, it wouldn't yeah. matter what final it was. Um, Huge, huge statement win for for Inter. Um, yes. I think this is something genuinely like as winning silverware is always a positive thing, right? Um, Milan, the kind of spiral continues a little bit. Mm. Um, but for Inter, now, Inzaghi has kind of picked up a little bit of silverware since he's been in now. He's won the Coppa Italia, he's won the Super yeah. Coppa twice. The only one missing is the Scudetto now. Maybe you'll get yes. there. But I think Inzaghi quietly is still having a pretty successful tenure so. at Inter, right? I think that's gone under the radar amongst the performances that they've had. Mm. Don't forget, Inzaghi has taken into the furthest in the Champions League since yep. Mourinho days. So yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of says a lot as well because, you know, Conte did bring them the Scudetto, but I think those times seem to have faded yeah, in, Europe, in the background they now. The it's it's never really been kind of remembered for what he did in Europe. So mm-hmm. I think what Inzaghi's done... You know, quite cleverly, I think he's he's building that reputation with Inter in terms of like winning stuff, and I think that's the thing that's going to buy him time at the moment because people can see all off the field anyway. Certainly, the investment's not there at the moment. There's a lot of issues going on behind the scenes, but when you've got performances like that, that that kind of cements back why Inter should be considered mm-hmm. as one of those elite clubs again. Yeah, it's just getting yeah. that consistency. I think yeah, that's it's... the big problem. Is the consistency when you've got players like Skriniar? Now that's a big that's a big topic that came out of this yeah, yeah, game. Yeah. It was like Morata was kind of saying after the match that he feels that he's going to get a contract at Inter and he will stay there. He seemed very confident that he is going to stay. However, there's still that inkling that he could be twisted to kind of yeah. move on. Jekko's in the same position. His contract comes at the end of this season. What a goal that was as well, by the way. Jesus Tonali, he just yeah. kind of ran on. I don't know where he went. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely and, did. And on top of that, Chanalogu looks like he's signing a new contract. So there is a little bit of hope. Um, and Frank Kessier so coming in? Frank Kessier coming well, into Inter? not with Brozovic going the other way. That's, oh, that's being confirmed. That be Brozovic terrible, was, was apparently being offered as the swap Replacement. Don't I, do that. I don't get don't why do you would that. do that. 
Um, do not yeah, do that. Brozovic do has that. no interest, apparently, yeah. of leaving the club. So of course I think he doesn't. Brozo fucking loves it in Milan. He, in Milan. he fucking loves it. He's got he loves the it. lifestyle because he'd have to actually do some work if he was elsewhere, right? That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, they let him <laughs> smoke all he wants as long as he runs, like breaks records in kilometers on the pitch. <laughs> exactly. He consistently he does. does, by the way. Does, um, yeah. That guy absolutely grafts on the pitch. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, please don't do that. Into For Milan, it's a weird one. I thought maybe the tactic of having your strikers as a thirty, a forty-two-year-old Zlatan, a thirty-eight-year-old Giroud, and Divock Origi isn't the most reliable, <laughs> no. reliable plan. It felt like they had zero threat up front. I wanted to very quickly say Barella for Inter absolutely ran this game and is arguably yes. one of the best midfielders in Serie A, yeah. if not the best midfielder in Serie A. Yeah. But it it was only more stark next to Tonali's performance, who was so far off it. And I he think Barella yeah. really stepped up completely around the game. And I think mm. with Milan, we're just seeing a few players fade. The attacking line doesn't yeah. seem there. They're relying too much on Leal, and Tonali wasn't able to affect the game. How did you see Milan's performance? It's just poor, just very mm. poor. And it seems like they're in a bit of a rut. I think yeah. they are struggling to not only get wins on the board, but it seems like they're struggling with performances. It mm-hmm. seems like they're just not getting into a place where they're actually understanding each other, what, what is going wrong, what it, what they need to do to turn it around at this moment in time. Tamori, for example, when you allude to Lotaro Martinez's third goal, he lets the ball bounce. Like, that is uncharacteristic. The fact that Simon Kier, who was beside him, was substituted off for Kalulu, um, I think there's some big issues. And I think AC Milan desperately needs a player just to come in and just spark some enthusiasm. Now, I don't know who they come for. The obvious one is Kessie. I I think that's the obvious one they need. Crying out for it, really. I think the problem sounds like they just don't have the money. I I genuinely think they don't have the money. And I think you're right to allude to Zlatan's probably one of the highest earners. But he sat on a bench. <laughs> He's a cheerleader at this point. He He's literally like... a glorified cheerleader. Yeah, I yeah. think he needs to potentially just, I would personally, I don't know why they gave him the contract they did, because I personally would have gone, look, Zlatan, you've made your monies. Like You can have the time to rehab, and if you prove yourself, we'll put you back on the books. But up until that point, we yeah, don't yeah. really need you. I would have yeah. gone and used that money. You could have got maybe three players in like even if they were up and coming players and I don't know about you they might reconsider maybe bringing um, Colombo who's on loan Mm -hmm. at Lecce maybe getting someone like a spark like him just to provide something different we know that their model at the moment is very much by young and develop like they're doing that that is their model they're trying to like even like Pabega, they loaned out them, let him yeah. develop, brought him into the first team. That's very much their model. So I think Colombo is a good shout. You could see them go, actually, we can just bring him back. And he's had his set yes. performances, his experience. We know that we can bring him in. I think, yeah, it's after winning the Scudetto, you kind of need that someone to keep pushing the team. We kind yeah, of talked exactly. about it last episode where the hunger doesn't really seem feel or doesn't seem like it's there. You need that new blood to come in and go, well, I've not mm. won it and I want to win it. So let's win it. Right. Exactly. So I think maybe they do need a bit of fresh blood, but I think they need to start with the striking options because it just feels like if they out yeah. at the moment, if they out doesn't score, nobody scores. Um, 
Mm, and Giroud is hitting it. a bit of a lull, which he is kind of prone to do in every and so the often. And the Ketteler hasn't really got the earth kind of shaking at Milan. I think he needs to just go on loan to another yeah, club think... in this window. Just let him go for six months. Maybe something yeah, like just, a Bologna. I just don't think they've got the depth to be able to do it. I don't think. No, I think they have to just they be like, don't. we need we need the body on the bench. Like, and I think th- that guy is going to be a great player. He's technically fantastic. No He's doubt. Super yeah. versatile. Like I always remember on Football Manager, he could play every position. <laughs> <laughs> he's super versatile. He's going to be a great player. He's just, he's still quite young and it's his first yeah. year in the league, right? But I think Milan, yeah, it's not really going to be there. No. It's not looking like it's going to be their season. But this was a bit of a, that was an embarrassing one. That was an embarrassing mm. one. But Inter pick up the win. They get the Super Coppa. They retain it, which is incredible. Yeah. And they move on. We're going to very quickly, because we realize we are running out of time. We're yes. going to talk Coppa Italia action. Um, and we're going to start in Naples as Cremonese finally beat a Serie A team. Guys, they did. got it. Unfortunately, there's no points on the board. And they <laughs> won on penalties. Napoli had every chance to score. I think they hit the crossbar, they hit the post yeah. off, and then missed a few chances. They were playing in that stunning Valentine's kit. Um, but <laughs> it was not a match made in heaven for Napoli as they were definitely wasn't (laughs) and Cremonese go through this is such a classic relegation team can't get a win they finally get a win in the but they get it yes exactly it was it was beautiful Uh, and just the celebrations at the end to their like free fans that were in the stands basically was beautiful to see that's a hell of a journey on a Wednesday night Cremonese to Napoli Jesus exactly but I thought it was beautiful in terms of the performance because Cremonese Mm. actually dug in but also it has to be said Napoli, who played a very much a second string side to begin with, yes, had some very disappointing players in it. Berzinski, for example, debut for Napoli, didn't have a great game. Um, Leo Ostergaard, apparently, by just terrible, just terrible yeah. in most yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, what else? Simeone and Raspadori didn't do much in this game, didn't really influence it. They had their opportunities. I've almost, well, I pretty much said it, I think it's a blessing in disguise. I think it's a blessing in disguise for Napoli because actually you do want a game like that to kind of ruffle your feathers and kind of go, right. Slap in the face. We need realisation after our successes over the last few weeks. And also I think actually that helps their momentum because actually they can concentrate more on Scudetto and potentially the Champions League. So maybe a good thing for Spalletti's men. Um, They can concentrate on something else. I'm sure Napoli's fans probably are a bit pissed off though. They are a little bit annoyed. There were scenes of when Napoli last won the Coppa Italia and how mad that city went. And they were like, yeah. we could have had this. We could have had this. They're desperate for a party in that city. They're desperate mm. for a party. But they would have had to go up again away to Roma in the cup. And I just think it's a distraction they don't need. It's yeah. just another big game that they're like, right, we just don't do it. Let Cremonese lose that game and just move on. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it's kind of... Simeone did get a good goal. Um, Jean of former Roma fame yes. um, did get a beautiful header to equalize it some really nice goals in this game mm. the, for like 10 minutes it was absolutely pissing it down it was torrential <laughs> it right was, there yeah. in, in Naples it was genuinely they had to like abandon the stadium afterwards like Spalletti <laughs> oh through his conference there was like a siren going off like get the fuck out the stadium is flooded it's a mess of a stadium um mm. but Napoli are out Cremonese are through elsewhere in the Coppa Italia very quickly Atalanta yes. make it 13 goals in two games mm. as they win 5-2 against Spezia Luckman with another two Hatterbors no Hoyland's goal is absolutely yes Hoyland. yes oh my but god what a goal can I just um, say we spoke about it on Monday 
but the movement between Lukman, Boga, oh. and Hoyland, yeah, wow, we could be yeah, interested, yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting second half of this season because if them three can actually do the same fluidity as say Napoli's kind of front three, this could be an interesting end to this season because I could see them really terrorizing defenses, and if they can keep hold of the players, that's the other point. If they can yeah. keep the likes of Acoli, Scalavini. They've got a solid base. They've got a solid team. I don't know about you, Rory. I probably would argue they don't need any more reinforcements. They've got Zapata, obviously. (laughs) You know who was linked to Zapata today? Well, there's been a few, hasn't there? Yes. That's what, again, an Everton fan retweeting. Um, what is it? A ridiculously bad injury record. Only scored one goal this season <laughs> and huge disciplinary problems. Classic Everton <laughs> signing. Like, yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, but no, I think we have seen At- with, like Atalanta have had a rough first half of the season. Mm. They really weren't impressive. They managed to keep up there. They were unbeaten for a bit with Napoli. They were yes, doing they well, were. Yeah. but that dip just fucking Fell hit off. them. And I think now that winter break, that World Cup has really like Gasparini's been able to get them in get him trained, mm. get a tune out of Boga. Boga was so good at Sassuolo. Yeah. When he signed for Atalanta, I was so excited. Like, yes, that's Definitely. the perfect move for him. Get Gasparini to... And I think that time has really got them together. And mm. we're seeing... Yep. We've got the old Atalanta back. We were talking about it again on Thursday. They used to get these mad score lines <laughs> of like 6-5 and 6-3 and 5-2 yep. and everything. And now 13 goals in two games. It feels like Illich could be playing again, right? It yes. feels like the old Atalanta. It's beautiful. They go through against Spezia um, and elsewhere in the Coppa Italia. Um, Lazio beat Bologna, I want to say 1-0. It was 1-0 um, in the end. Yeah, Anderson, Felipe Anderson. 1-0, Felipe Anderson and Juventus have just beaten Monza 2-1. Goals from Moise Kane and Federico Chiesa gets oh. his first goal for Juventus after his injury back in form. But we do, guys, I think that's kind of everything. My voice is going a little bit. Um, That is kind of everything. We're going to very, very quickly go through the games of the weekend. Um, So quickly, in the Premier League, we, of course, as my tab now freezes, because of course it does, um, we have starts off on Saturday, Liverpool against Chelsea, two teams that desperately need a win to try and Mm -hmm. get them out of this mid-table battle they seem to be having. That could be an interesting one. That's half past one Central European time kickoff on Saturday. We have Leicester against Brighton um, on Saturday as well. Southampton against Villa. West Ham against Everton in a massive relegation battle. David mm. Moyes taking on his old team to try and pile on more misery. We have Bournemouth <laughs> against Forest. And the late kickoff on Saturday is Crystal Palace taking on Newcastle. That's quite a good day of football, that. Yeah. And on Sunday, Man City take on Wolves. In the um, at three o'clock, we have Leeds against Brentford. Mm-hmm. A weird game where they really don't like each other. Leeds Brentford, right? Yes, still, they hate they each really, other. Really Thomas Franks like wants other. to do them over. Essentially, that's yeah. going to be a little bit of a ding dong. I think then at half past five on Sunday we have Arsenal against Manchester United. I am shitting myself. And we have Fulham hosting Tottenham. Can Tottenham lose another London derby? That would be <laughs> quite funny. I hope so. That is the Premier League weekend. Adam, do you want to take us through Serie A? Yes, sure. So on Saturday in Serie A, we start off by talking 
Hellas Verona versus Lecce, probably not the most enthralling game, but there we go. We've then got Salernitana with David Nicola trying to maybe hopefully <laughs> hopefully rejuvenate this side again against Napoli, which is probably a bad thing for him. And then we've got Fiorentina versus Torino in the late kickoff on Saturday. Then we move into Sunday, and in terms of fixtures there, wherever it is, I did see the big game whilst I'm trying to look for the fixtures. Juventus versus Atalanta. This is the game that I said, Rory, that Atalanta, if they really want to prove their top four credentials, this is the game they have to make a mark in. In the other games, we've got Sampdoria versus Udinese. Udinese, a team that has been struggling, but they're facing Sampdoria, who are equally as bad, so potentially they'll win that one. Monza versus Sassuolo. Again, that could be a goal frenzy, potentially, because both sides like to score and concede. And Spezia versus Roma. I don't know how to call that one because Roma have the tendency to fluke it, maybe throw it away in these kind of games. We'll mm-hmm. see. And then on Monday night, as we'll go to record, Inter versus Empoli. Big game for Inter to potentially make the most of what happens over the weekend, win their game there potentially and make a mark. And then in the earlier kickoff, we've got Bologna versus Cremonese, who I can only see Bologna potentially winning here and extending more misery for Cremonese fans. Um, so, yeah, that kind of concludes that kind of weekend period in Serie A, Rory. It is a nice weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully you see me on Monday with a big smile on my face and Andy with a big old frown. We will see how it's going <laughs> to go. God, it's getting really, really real. I really wish Tottenham would have done something. Guys, I've honestly, the admin's completely slipped and I'm just going to say, there's no quote this week because I've just been definitely <laughs> looking for a Davide Nicola quote and it's all Italian and my translation isn't that quick. So next week, I'll give you two. Thursday, we get two <laughs> quotes. There you go. You can save it up. But for now, guys, I'm just going to say, as always, thanks for joining us. Please follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. Follow us on TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like our things. It would be greatly appreciated. And we want to say thank you again to the Sport Social Pod Network for welcoming us on board. And we're excited to see where this goes. We will see you on Monday. See you there, guys. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.